0: The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry.
1: is my And I love it. Yeah, I love it. I was born in me,
0: I got it, Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And welcome to this weekend's edition of the CEO Roundtable Show. Glad that you have tuned in. Uh, very happy to have you with us. Also very happy to have uh, with us the superintendent of Columbia Public Schools, Dr. Brian Yearwood. Uh, thanks for coming to the Eagle Studio. Good to have you here. Yes, thank you so for inviting me. This thank is a busy, busy time of year for you, isn't it? Oh, yes, absolutely. But it's a fun time. Fun time, but busy. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, that's At least you're having fun. You were on the show about uh, maybe a year and a half ago, and I thought maybe it would be good for you just to take a couple of minutes and remind. Uh, our listeners about your background and and when you came to CPS and and uh, I think a very interesting part of your story is where you grew up so start with that if you don't mind yes Um, originally from the Caribbean islands Trinidad and Tobago
1: I uh, played tennis and as a result I was recruited to play tennis first at New Mexico military then at Texas Mm -hmm. Tech University and uh, from there fell in love with teaching I met a, a special needs scholar um, who changed my whole trajectory I'm originally a, ge- a geologist and I uh, went into teaching immediately because I uh, I got I felt the compassion that was needed with uh, being able to work with individuals and, mm-hmm. you know, just growing individuals. To me, that's the exciting part of what we do is taking a fellow human being and a two, three, four, five, six, you know, 15, 16 year old and just growing them and, and, and teaching them and, and just watching them blossom into, uh, magnificent adults. So yeah. that, that to me is the beauty of what we do.
0: Yeah. Very good. When did you first come to CPS? I
1: came to CPS two years ago. I okay. started. As superintendent, uh, about uh, back in is it 20, the beginning of 21, yeah. 22, yeah. Um, it, it was a bit of a blur because, you know, I, I was learning stadium Providence. I was learning <laughs> how to navigate, you know, things here in, in, in Colombia, And, you yeah. know, it was um, qu- quite a blur, but again, uh, still very excited and, yeah. and feel very fortunate and humbled
0: by being uh, chosen to be the lead the school district. Mm-hmm. Here. Yes. You uh came in as the COVID pandemic was winding down, is that fair to say? Oh yes. Okay. Well well I don't know if winding down, but it was <laughs> definitely in the ear. And yeah, the sir. kids were back in the classroom,
1: correct? Yes. Okay. They, they started coming yeah. back in and, you know, we were um sort of trying to navigate because of course there were there was Omicron and yeah. you know there were other um, um, mutations of the virus that was still around and trying to navigate that while maintaining you know a,
0: a quality educational environment it was it was um, quite a bit of a balancing act, yeah yes. I bet it was. Mm-hmm we'll talk about some of the headlines Uh, you've been in the headlines quite a bit the last uh, couple of weeks uh, for obvious reasons and maybe it's too early to have these numbers but uh, do you have any insight into what our student enrollment looks like for this school year yes we are over
1: 19,000 we were higher than we were last year but officially we will not get official numbers from our state agency until late September Okay, because uh, we still keep uh, seeing movement we have uh, scholars coming in and scholars leaving we'll see that past Labor Day but in September I think those numbers will be finalized but right now official or numbers right now
0: show that we're approaching 19,000 plus. Okay, very good. Uh, That's good to know. We'll talk about that because uh, the growth uh, projections for the Columbia Public Schools uh, are a little uh, not we're so used to year-over-year year growth, and so we're, we're going to see a little bit of shift due to birth rate uh, coming up, which the university is going to deal with also. But you had an announcement. Well, by the way, were there any new buildings introduced uh, this this uh, fall? Is there anything, that you're, anything remodeled that you yes. went into for the first time? Oh, yes. We had about 32 projects that we were oh, working on okay. um, wow. this
1: fall from AD improvements. We had HVAC, uh, um, athletic fields, and so on. We had the Russell uh, Boulevard Elementary School um, uh, coming on board with their addition, we had the um, the Nature School. Of course, that's a, a major project uh, mm-hmm. in progress. The Columbia Area Community College um, going through a, re- a complete overhaul renovation there. Yeah. Uh, of course, the new elementary school. Right. Um, you know, we we that's moving along. And as a matter of fact, I'd that's like going
0: to be on the John Warner Campus. Is yes. that correct? Okay, yes, uh, off of Sinclair Road. Yes. And if okay. I, if
1: I may, on September the fifth, September fifth, okay. from three to six at John Warner Middle School, there'll be a showing of the. Uh, proposed uh, elementary school design mm-hmm. and we encourage our community parents teachers staff members, whomever to come by and take a look and yeah maybe if there's some suggestions or questions we'd love to entertain that yeah, it looks like sm mm-hmm. Wilson
0: is building this project is that right um, uh, out of st Louis
1: yeah, um not sm this we're working with uh, DLR and, and we also they're, they're, the, they're the project managers okay, uh, okay. For, for
0: this. S.M. Yes. Wilson built uh, several mm-hmm. Boone Hospital's editions over yes, the years, yes. and so we're somewhat familiar with yes. them here in Columbia. But. Mm-hmm. So is the Russell Boulevard edition, is that open? Is that up and running? Um, Russell Boulevard, um, that is
1: definitely um, online now. Oh, okay. um, and we, um, because of that, we are now increasing our school capacity to 650. Oh, wow. um, and, 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 I'm sorry, I, I back up a little bit. It'll be um, a complete before the winter break before okay. we go for winter okay, sorry. It's, it's, i sorry i
0: remember you know, driving by mm-hmm. a few weeks ago and i said i wonder if that's going to be done in time for school but but it's not but anyway no, no. it's uh, uh well that's so so 32 projects that's a lot of moving parts yes yeah. yes
1: absolutely and remember that um we have several buildings uh you know school district that are over 100 years old mm-hmm. and You know, that's almost unheard of, but it also speaks to the quality of commitment from our community Mm -hmm. to keep the buildings, the building culture intact. Um, And I would say we have close to about 15 to 20 that are over 50 years old. And of course, with that comes, you know, certain challenging elements. But you know, for us to be good stewards of our taxpayers' dollars, we are constantly looking at making sure that our buildings are safe, making sure that again we don't allow for any, uh, you know, uh, rapid deterioration of yeah. anything, and and it, it's it's working so far. But again, that requires certain levels of maintenance and so on. Yeah,
0: you know, so. as someone who lives in a hundred-year-old house, I, I get it completely what uh, how that that stuff works, and and you know, the university has recently taken several buildings offline because of their age and and just the cost of of maintaining them. So a little bit. different approach but i mean i think it's uh it speaks well to sort of the the years of maintenance and how the buildings have been up kept so I want to talk a little bit about this convocation event, because it was the first time that th- this type of thing had been done in, in many years uh, at CPS. Talk about that and, and why you decided to uh, get that going again.
1: Yes, yeah, so our move this is to, is to build what we call we're known as a system of schools where we had different schools doing a variety of things, mm-hmm. and we're trying to get back to being a school system mm-hmm. where we are looking at certain commonalities, certain non-negotiables, and so we wanted everyone to hear the same message under the same house, just like you would with a large family. And, you know, it was, I heard lots of very, very positive things. Um, We had all scholars coming back in and talking about inspiring Mm -hmm. and trusting and what that means. Um, We had a a scholar, Sadvik, that has graduated, has gone on to do some magnificent work, Mm -hmm. himself receiving much uh, scholarships in the academic world, coming back and and, uh, recognizing his elementary teacher. I mean, it was this heart-rendering and of course, um, we heard from uh, Stephen M. R. Covey Mm -hmm. um, as he spoke to us about the importance of trusting and inspiring because we want to inspire our scholars. Our our vision is to be the best school district in in the state and to do that Mission of of uh, providing a quality environment. So our motto of inspiring greatness was uh, directly uh, emphasized with Stephen Covey, who says that we must have trust yeah. uh, before we can inspire. Yeah, and and that message resonated with many. And I still, as I go to schools, I hear and I I hear individuals talk about building trust and, you know, their roles in inspiring each other, inspiring scholars and yeah. just making it. And I, I must say, this when school started this first week, this was the first time that there was a level of calm, a level of confidence, <laughs> and just a great way to, to begin school. And I think that's because of the follow-through based upon what there was heard at the convocation. Mm-hmm.
0: So I want to talk about Stephen Covey for a second. So there's there's uh, Stephen Covey, the famous author who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But this is Stephen M.R. Covey yes. who really, I believe, has written one of the greatest business books uh, of, of this decade called The Speed of Trust. Yes. And uh, it is, if you have not, if you're a business person, if you're a CEO, if you're a leader, uh, it is a great book to read and it is, it's available on audio tape if, if you don't want to read it, but uh, uh, it really talks about uh, building trust, and trust being really the new currency uh, in in this generation of, uh, of business people and certainly uh, students that are coming up uh, through the education system. And so uh, what do you think was the biggest takeaway from uh, Mr. Covey's uh, presentation? That we must work as leaders to build trust, mm-hmm.
1: Yes, we can be named a CEO or superintendent. We may have the title, but if individuals that we work with don't trust us, then our leadership will not be as successful. And it was important to me that we are able to not only... Uh, give trust to our employees and mm-hmm. let them know that they're trusted, but also letting your employees know it's important that, as a CEO of our company, it's important that we are also trusted. Mm-hmm. And I know just yesterday I met with our leaders, 120 or four leaders in the district, and I, I shared, I said, you know, I trust each one to do their role, mm-hmm. but it's important that I also am trusted as the leader as superintendent to be the very best for all close to 19,000 scholars here in yeah. Columbia.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's sort of, uh, and and this is uh, sort of a, a swerve over what we're talking about, but I think that, you know, uh, and really uh, not... This, a lot, most of this predates uh, your arrival in the school district. And I think that we, I want to make sure that I, I point out that, that a lot of the issues that the school district is facing are things that were developing and materializing uh, as you were coming onto the job. And, and you may not have known about a lot of these things, but, but you know, th- it seems like in the last year, uh, it seems like there's, there's been some uh, mistrust, uh, in the community with the school board, the board of education with the school district. H- how have you, uh, based on what you know now, h- how do you go back and regain the trust of, of patrons? And, and I think that, you know, you, the last time you put a bond issue out, you got 76% <laughs> approval. So, I mean, the, the trust was there, but, but I think that, you know, it's, it's been a rough, um, a, a rough year in some respects on, on some more controversial issues that, that really um, are no fault of yours, but unfortunately you're the guy in charge and so you have to take the heat for it, but yes. but how do you go back and, and uh, what, what, have you, what did you learn last week that would allow you to say okay, we also need to rebuild some trust within the community?
1: By first being transparent mm-hmm. and letting our community know that we're not perfect, that we make mistakes, mm-hmm. and although we we uh uh put our scholars first and and that's something that I drive home in our decision making in our actions as a school district, we put scholars first. Is this in the best interest of our scholars? Yeah. And then, you know, just being open to dialogue, being open to criticisms, you know, as as well, you know, people may give us certain accolades for certain things, which is great, mm-hmm. but being open to criticisms, but not, you know, taking that personally, but taking it as a growth opportunity. Yeah. And then being very reflective, because, you know, I call it trust starts with the individual. It, it starts with me. If I'm talking about trust, am I doing what it takes to be a trusting person? Mm-hmm. And then, opening it up and, and, you know, having dialogue with those members of the community that have concerns and being able to share it. Now, we may not answer every question or we may not... Or you may may agree to disagree. Right, agree to disagree. But, you know, just acknowledging that, no, we're not perfect. And one thing that I always... that I talk to, I have different advisory groups. I just met with our parent advisory group from our PTA and Is I I say, we all want the same thing. Mm -hmm. We want our scholars to be the very best in our society. yeah. So let us work together. Let us, you know, criticize. Let us, you know, show each other ways that we can get stronger together, mm-hmm. not as a sort of a, a, a vindictive manner or yeah. condescending manner, but let's, let's really, because at the end of the day, the school, the success of the school district is very, very important to supporting our community The school district, as strong as it it is, it will also strengthen our community. Mm -hmm. Our community, when a community is strong like Columbia, it also strengthens our school district. So we don't want to bring down or to diminish our school district because that will have a negative impact in our community. And we are not having that. We will have a very strong school district where parents, community voices are heard and that we are working to a common goal of providing quality experiences for all scholars in our schools. Yeah.
0: Uh, one of the, the things that, uh, and we've got about a minute left here in this mm-hmm. segment, but, uh, you know, uh, you were finally able to uh, finalize the contract with the City of Columbia over the the school resource officers, yes. uh, which uh, is a, a relief to a lot of people because that seems to be a very... Critical thing in our community, uh, just a quick comment about that contract and and uh, your level of satisfaction with it
1: yes yes, um well of course safety uh, number one concern we we can 't have a school where it 's an unsafe environment, and it was important for us to work with uh, our police department um, to work on what you call community development. Uh, activity. So our officers are in the school not for discipline. Mm-hmm. They're there to build and to build rapport with our scholars to show that, yes, as an officer. Um, I'm not here just to enforce the law. I'm here to also ensure that uh, you have what what the scholar the, what the scholar needs um, they can help support. For example there are times that we've seen officers just walking uh, scholars to class. Yeah. You know making sure that they have what they need to be successful. Yeah. I know at Battle High School um, the, as the officer there this past year received an award from the faculty because of their work in the school and it was, from my understanding, not a single dry eye huh. in, in that
0: assembly, yeah. just thanking them for what they had done. That's the voice yeah. of Dr. Brian so Yearwood, who is the superintendent of Columbia Public Schools. When we come back, we'll talk more about school safety <laughs> and the SRO officers. Uh, right after this, you're listening to the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show, Fred Perry, your host. This weekend, we are visiting with Dr. Brian Yearwood, who is the superintendent of Columbia Public Schools. Uh, we were talking about school resource officers right before the um, uh, the break. Here, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we are living in an era where, um, you know, I hate to say this, but school shootings uh, are becoming, um, y- you know, more so so common. That it just doesn 't get the media attention you know it doesn 't have really the shock and awe factor that uh, it once did and and, and that 's a very unfortunate thing but when when you look at uh school safety and it 's it's, it's obviously something that you 've got to uh, worry about and and, and think about. Um, what kind of action plans do we have in place that if we have an active shooter uh, come into one of our schools, uh, do you feel confident that that we've got a pretty good handle on what our strategy is going to be? Um, yes, I I I feel
1: confident because again, there have been drills, there have been practices that have happened within our schools with various uh, law enforcement agencies, um, and we. Are, have, have confidence that there will be continued support for our schools. So the SROs, and we also have our own security team that's also in house, oh, okay. that will also be of um, great assistance mm-hmm. to us. And just because of that training, because uh, of the familiarity with the school environment, with the halls, classrooms, and things like that, I think, um, one of the issues that we saw from looking at past, uh, tragic events uh, reaction times, mm. making sure that we are timely and that enforcement is there and is able to get in and you know um, apprehend the perpetrator who's uh, of course in our schools, I think that we have worked in you know on that, and is it a perfected system no no it it still continues to be, and we are also looking at ways and means to. Uh, make sure our schools are protected. You know, we're putting in secure vestibules before anyone could just walk in and out of a school. Yeah. We're not, we are, we've stopped that. We're monitoring that very closely. We have, um, you know, our, our panic um, button areas mm-hmm. that we are looking at. Um, you know, we're looking at the governor's initiative um, on Raptor, which, you know, allows us to have an identification system for, mm-hmm. you know, those that are in the schools to do harm and so on. Mm-hmm. So, no, we, we're not... We we are we are doing good, but we want to be great, yeah. and so we are always looking for better ways to enhance our safety and security for our scholars. Yeah,
0: yeah. one one yeah. of the things that it, it, if you read the local media, it, it sounded like it might have been uh, part of the delay, but but it was important to the school district that the police officers who were going to be in the schools uh, had, uh, I, I believe it was equity training and then also trauma uh, enforced training. Trauma informed. Help me understand what trauma informed training is. So, uh, we
1: have scholars that have undergone certain levels of trauma, could be from COVID because of home life. Mm-hmm. And it, it, undergoing trauma, it manifests itself in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. You may have a scholar that may be triggered by a certain smell or certain words or certain noises. And so, we wanted our officers to know hey, if A scholar has undergone a level of trauma, they may act out not because they're just trying to be mischievous or anything, but because really there was something in their past that triggered them. For example, um, there was a teacher that uh, uh, used to pass out lemon drops to their scholars Mm -hmm. because of doing uh, great work. Well, a scholar was actually punished and had lemon juice squeezed on them because of you know acting out in at mm-hmm. home and so on, mm-hmm. so whenever lemon drops were put out, that scholar would act out in the classroom mm. and so a teacher had to learn, hey, this scholar underwent some trauma, so perhaps let's use something else and that's what we wanted our officers to understand is that you know that the the, the behaviors that they see mm-hmm. may be coming from experiences of trauma, so yes they have equity training, they undergo de escalation training, they, they undergo trauma informed. Yeah. Yes.
0: So when you were training to be an educator, were you were you talking about these things, uh trauma informed and equity training? Was this was this part of your education to be an educator? No, no. I had to do some studying. I had yeah. to
1: go and do research and be able to um, understand what these things are all about. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, of course, our basic training about classroom management right. and so on. But you no, know, we 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 had we now are living in a different world, and yeah. you know, our scholars are different than when we were in school. Yeah. So now we are having to adapt and to learn and to to do the research to be able to ensure that we're providing best
0: opportunities for our scholars. Yeah, yeah, interesting. The world is changing in in dramatic ways, especially with young people, and yes. so it's it's hard for a lot of people to understand. Um, Back prior to your arrival shortly after you arrived it it sort of became public that that uh, achievement scores and test scores uh, had been sliding for a few years in in cps and and i read some quotes from you in in local media over the last uh, six months that really um you're addressing that i mean this is something that's sort of on your radar and it's not uh uh and i and i think that you know you 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 don't want to be critical of the people who have gone before you i understand that completely but but you know, w- tell us a little bit about what you're doing uh, uh, to to sort of reverse the course yes. on, on achievement. Yes, and, and I have to say my predecessors, my superintendents
1: before me, um, they, they did good work. They, they were actually in process of uh, improving and so on, but I think uh, COVID happened and that threw a lot out of the mm-hmm. window. Um, so today, what we're looking at is being more transparent with our data. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I w- for us to improve our achievement levels or our data, it will take our parents, our community, and everyone understanding where we are as we put initiatives in place and looking for ways that they can help us growing their scholars Mm -hmm. so I'm looking at data looking at we do what is called benchmark scores we take many assessments and based upon the assessments we can now adapt and we can now change direction and we can provide further interventions for those scholars that may need additional help and so on so um, we're looking at data more intimately. We um, have brought in a, a psychometrician for us to look at d- data in different ways, hmm. and it's making a payoff. This past year, we did an assessment called iReady, and we looked at the fall. We did a, a sort of a um, late fall Early spring and then late spring, and we started seeing progression we started seeing growth mm-hmm. with our scholars, and that 's what it's about we, We're not going to go from zero to ninety right. in one year it's incremental but it's incremental, yeah. mm-hmm. and we are seeing that incremental growth in our scholars yeah
0: do you mm-hmm. feel like you know teachers uh, have complained over the years that they felt like they were teaching for the test and mm-hmm. and do you feel like uh, it, what 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 is the uh, have the metrics changed or is it uh, is it something about the way students learn that might have caused our our achievement scores to slip?
1: Um, I I think that you know teachers are teach standards mm-hmm. that they receive from the state and those standards change. So I could teach a particular standard a certain way, but it may change next year, and I would have to adapt to it. Or that standard may no longer be. Um, relevant right. along the way so we're looking at those standards and how they're being taught but we're looking at uh, beyond that since those standards keep changing and we're developing metrics to determine a more standardized way of looking of academics we're looking at reading levels we're looking at math levels we're looking at things called quantiles and and um Lexiles, it's mm-hmm. a fancy word. Lexiles is a fancy word for reading level. Quantiles is a fancy word for math levels. And determining what those uh, ranges are within our schools so that way when a scholar is reading at a certain Lexile level um, we know that their ability to move ahead and to be successful whether it's on a status or any test will have improved tremendously. The same thing with math or quantile levels. So we are looking at ways that Um, it's not just focused on the test. It's really looking at that individual scholar's ability and where they are and having more of an individualized or personalized plan for them ac- academically so that we can demonstrate growth on an individual basis. And not only from our perspective, but we also, it's important that the scholars understand and able to articulate this to their parents as well as to the teacher, knowing mm-hmm. hey, this is where I am with my reading level. This is way, ways that I can improve. These are books I can read. And really taking more ownership in the process. So those are things that, are, that
0: we are we are if, that's evolving this school year yeah. yes one, one of the challenges that you have probably are affecting uh test scores of course are are the, the just getting kids in the classroom and i think that that has been uh announced as a major initiative uh you know and i, and I think that really uh, i i will tell you someone that has worked in the local media for for 35 years and and someone that is just you know a district patron uh i appreciate that kind of transparency i i it's it's probably not very flattering sometimes to admit that you know we we have a major in-person attendance problem in our school district but but by being uh, transparent and and letting everybody know i think that that is is something that's very productive and very healthy and probably going to be very helpful but but you know the the cps standard and the state standard is 90% attendance uh this past school year we hit 67% mm-hmm. You know, and I think there's probably a lot of people who, uh, are now grandparents, uh, people that don't have kids in the public school system. And, and when they hear stuff like that, they sort of shake their heads and they say, well, I mean, why is it so hard to get kids into the classroom? And, and I think that, uh, the world is changing, as we just said a few minutes ago. And, and so it's, you know, I remember when we didn't have a choice whether or not we were going to school. And so, uh, things are different and parenting is different and, and home, home lives are different. Uh, what do you think is the root of this attendance problem? Um, we, we're, I remember
1: the data that we see is a year behind. So for 21-22, we were about 67.1. Mm-hmm. For 22-23, we were at 80.1.
0: Okay, so you have some updated numbers.
1: Oh, yes. We, okay. we, we have grown and we are reaching out to parents to help us with that, mm-hmm. um, getting their scholars to school. We're also looking at incentive, incentives. Mm-hmm. So schools have put in place incentives for scholars that are coming to school, meeting that 90% threshold, mm-hmm. and just making it um, a part of the routine. I think with COVID, that was disrupted. Uh, scholars were used to not being in school or in seat. Now we're getting back to a norm. And what the expectation is um, that we'll get back to 90 plus percent uh, over the next year or two. Um, as we saw the growth. And we saw that leap. We saw a a 10% leap because our district, or teachers, our staff members, or administrators are focused on improving that number because we know that when a scholar is in seat, we can teach them. Yeah. When they're not there, uh, there's a deficient uh, factor that takes place in the educational process.
0: So what are the reasons mm-hmm. that you hear? Why? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, just mm-hmm. take a middle class family, mm-hmm. someone that doesn't have challenges at home uh, that you would think. Mm-hmm. Uh What's the reason their kids aren't coming to school? Um, I would say uh, some uh, illnesses. There are illnesses that do occur.
1: Um, mm-hmm. And so there, And as you know, we're bringing a health clinic online with uh, Borel-Brightly uh, system. Oh, yep. We'll have our own in-house health clinic with a full doctor and optometrist. And you say health, mm-hmm.
0: that's mental health. Um, no, this will be physical health. Physical health. Okay. There will
1: actually be a, a, a doctor on board that any CPS scholar will be able to go and receive treatment, prescriptions, immunizations, physicals, and so on. So okay. that should be coming online um, right um, now as we speak. So, so that was one major factor that we see. The other factor is um, we, we, our data showed we had an extremely high number of suspensions happening in our school hmm. because of the behaviors that we were seeing coming off of COVID. Yeah. And, of course, when a scholar is suspended, that's an absent, that's counted as an absentee date. Mm-hmm. So we're working through that now and we're working through how we can best, um, address our scholars' uh, suspensions. there are scholars that, yes, we do need to suspend or send home from school because, you know, we want to make sure we have a, a safe environment and so on. Mm-hmm. But then we're also looking at other ways that, in, that may work instead of sending that scholar home. But overall, um, I think that, With the increased attention to an effort, we're already seeing the growth happening Mm -hmm. in our attendance. Um, And looking at the activities that are coming online, the experiences that are provided, I see nothing but improvements happening especially this this continued improvement mm-hmm. as you've seen.
0: Down to a minute mm-hmm. again here but in this segment but when you uh, have a, uh, an average attendance of 67% for mm-hmm. a school year does that affect your state funding? Oh yes okay. absolutely yes. And yes. The, the state mm-hmm. basically wants you to be at 90% and then they reduce their funding based on that attendance rate? Yes absolutely. Okay yes. so there's a financial incentive to get to keep those kids in school so yes. we are visiting with Dr. Brian Yearwood who is the superintendent of Columbia Public Schools. When we come back uh, we'll talk about uh, maybe be uh, what uh, an upcoming response to COVID might look like. We'll also talk about the achievement gap, which is something that we've been talking about in Columbia for over 50 years now and uh, uh, not making a lot of progress. But we'll uh, get Dr. Yearwood's perspective on that. You are listening to the CEO Roundtable Show. I'm Fred Perry. This is 93.9 The Eagle. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the third and final segment of the CEO Roundtable Show. I'm Fred Perry, your host. This weekend, we are visiting with Dr. Brian Euerwit, who is the superintendent of public schools. If you if you follow the national news this week, you see that uh, there are have been some some smaller outbreaks of COVID nineteen uh, around the United States, and you see some schools going back to masking policies. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I, I but I think we all can agree that uh, COVID was a the pandemic was a tremendous disruption to really maybe the most effective were, were children in school and and I think that we saw kids fall behind because of uh uh districts being shut down and just all everything, all the other chaos surrounding COVID. So just as you as you think about the future uh and the possibility that we might have another outbreak of of COVID, um what what is the district thinking right now? Will you do? You, can you see yourself going back to a situation where you say we're going to close our schools? I hope not. Yeah, I, I really hope that we do not get back into that. And that would be your decision, correct? It'll be a decision of the board.
1: Okay. Uh, I, I myself would be uh, making recommendations and mm-hmm. uh, ultimately the school board yeah. will. It'll be, but
0: you, <laughs> you see the hardship that comes from closing your school. Oh yes, yeah.
1: yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, uh, we have a COVID plan in place that's on our website and it's a requirement uh, for those that, because we receive federal funds and to be able to receive those funding we must have a plan. So we do have a, a plan currently in place mm-hmm. that we are expected to follow. The board has uh, approved that and we expected to follow should there be an outbreak. But ultimately, you know, we want our scholars in, in seat. Mm-hmm. We do not want to have to close schools and we will do everything possible to mitigate that because we've seen the the effects of and the, the, the loss that we've seen in our learning processes due to school closures. So again, we'll be following our plans that we have on our website that is required by our federal government and then we will also uh, be taking steps to ensure that our scholars are safe mm-hmm. and, and uh, are not involved with um, catching COVID or whatever yeah. variant there is out can
0: there. You, can you give us some insight into sort of the criteria? that I mean, is mm-hmm. it is it based on the number of people who are affected by the virus, the number of students who are out, or the number of teachers that are out, yes. on your decision to maybe go back to remote learning? Yes. So, you know, when we have uh, classrooms that we cannot fill in a school, where we
1: cannot have coverage, where we cannot have substitutes, then that creates a, a, a situation where we have, Scholars without adult supervision, and we can't have that. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. our schools must have adult supervision at all times. And yes, that would be a factor. If there are no teachers, no substitutes, then we we will be forced to 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 close schools. Unless, uh, again, uh, um, you know. But that's something that I call it. That's a nightmare. That's one yeah. of those that. Worst case scenario. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay.
0: Well, that's, that's great. I hope that's right. I, I want to talk a little bit about the achievement gap. And, and this is something that, um, I think if you ask, uh, Dr. Russell Thompson or Dr. Jim Ritter, uh, about the achievement gap, I think they would, if they would tell you, you know what, this is something that we have been talking about for years. Uh, we've had some of our best minds trying to attack this, uh, issue. We've, but, It is a problem that just seems almost insurmountable, you know. To to change the course, what would you say is your current assessment? And do do you think we're making any progress at all in terms of uh, closing that achievement gap? Not enough. Mm -hmm. Not enough.
1: Um, We have recognized the problem with our data. We are now very, very data rich. And we're looking now to become action rich. Mm. So we have identified areas that we definitely need to grow in. And we are looking as we speak on about processes that we are putting in place now to close the achievement gap and to be able to not just close the achievement gap, but also to to make sure our scholars that are currently performing on level above level, that they are also growing and learning. And our mantra is that every scholar in CPS, regardless of their level, must have a year's worth of growth, a year's worth of academic growth growth in their subject matter each year. So what does that mean? It means that we are looking at uh, teaching methods. We are studying um, books, um, uh, Doug Lamov's Teach Like a Champion, and every... Uh, teacher in, the, in our district is getting that and there are strategies in there about how to teach and we just met yesterday with some training for uh, our leaders on how you 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 implement that so we are looking at different ways and different strategies to mm-hmm. look at it um how we analyze our data we are very focused on growth factors are we growing our scholars what does that look like based upon the data these are things that we have not done before, but now we have the data. And when you have the data, then you can go into true intervention and true analytics to ensure that you are growing scholars. So I'm very confident, I'm very confident this time next year when we have a conversation, there will be some growth. Are we going to solve the problem totally? I don't think we are, mm-hmm. but we will be on our way to solving
0: that problem and the data should
1: demonstrate that to you. I'm very confident about that. It,
0: it seems like a big part of the problem mm-hmm. is is what's happening at home. And uh that they're 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 because of the change in family structures and, and just uh different things. Uh, you know, you're gonna bristle when I say this, but when when you talk a lot of us when we talk to teachers, we say to them, what's the worst thing about teaching? you know and some of them are pretty quick to point out and and with good reason that parents are sometimes uh or the lack of parents are sometimes the the worst part about teaching that that, that there are parents who are just simply don't get involved at all and then there are parents that maybe get too involved and uh and and cause a lot of problem um so are you basically developing what i would call offensive strategies to uh counteract what's happening at home um, I, I would say counteract. I would
1: say to help perhaps enlighten our parents about ways they can help mm-hmm. um, what we're doing within the schools. And the answer is yes. So what we are developing right now, and there'll be additional training coming up, we'll be training our parents about, first of all, recognizing the reading and math levels of their scholars Mm -hmm. then we'll be providing them with resources for example there are websites that a scholar can go to or their parents can go to where they can actually put in their Lexile score their reading level score and those websites from home will then provide games different activities Mm -hmm. books at the appropriate level that the scholar can access and this will be for free and we're looking at our K through 8 for right now yeah. with that so we're, we we our plans are to roll out a uh, parent informa- information systems to be able to share that information with our parents so they can help us especially in math and in reading those are two big focus areas and there'll be more to come within the next month or two there'll be more to come with that and that's one major way because when our scholars literacy levels rise then we've seen the improvement or increase in their academic achievement over time yeah. so that's where we are starting is first mm-hmm. attacking literacy and math uh, level skill levels and bringing parents into and then the second is giving our scholars okay. ownership in the process. So a scholar will be taught to, analyze, to track where they are and be able to sort of um, uh, put a, to a graph where they expect to be over the next year yeah. and be able to track that as well because uh, you and I know when we are, we get scholars to be more self-reflective, then they are able to set goals for themselves hmm. And be able to say, look, I'm going to be here and share uh, with their teacher and with their parents. Mom, dad, look at how my reading level is improving and so on. So I think with with those pieces coming into play, um, I do expect us to start building those relationships because... Education is like a three legged stool. Mm-hmm. We must have parents and community on one. We must have our schools on the other. And then we have, of course, our administration and our school board on the other. And if any one of those isn't uh, successful, then obviously you know what happens to that stool. That's what we hope to be. Uh,
0: One of the things you said to me during the break that I I think is is worth sharing with with our listeners is that one of the things a parent can do that would make make perhaps the biggest difference is uh, encouraging sort of a thirst for reading. Uh, Getting your kids to read books uh when they're little take them to the sum, take them to the library in the summer let them pick out books uh um and you know the the library is still free of charge to uh everybody in our community uh it's it's one of those things where we just have to teach kids that uh uh information is power and you you really gain so much of that from just becoming a vivacious reader and and i think that uh reading for a lot of families and a lot of kids has become old-fashioned. It's something that they don't do a lot of, you know, that off-screen time. But uh, but that's something that would make a huge difference. Yeah. yeah. One yeah. of the things that I want to kind of close up with, and, and first of all, I want to I just tell you that I appreciate you coming in, because, you know, I think that, in the last year uh one of our favorite punching bags around here has been the the school system and i think that there's uh the listeners of this radio program and the host you know we've all taken our times kicking the 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 superintendent and and uh being very critical of our local school system, and so I appreciate your willingness to come in and be transparent and talk about the things that you're doing to reverse the course on these things. and And it would have been very easy for you to say, "Yeah, I'm just too busy to do that." And so I, I appreciate you coming in. You know, in the last election cycle, the last couple election cycles, there there has been a lot of of discussion about sort of the governance of the school board. and And I and I know you have to be careful because these people are your bosses, and so I get that completely. But you know, we were, um, you were able to add Karen Hayes to the school board this year, and and uh, she's got uh, quite a bit of experience as the Federal Education Opportunity Center at Columbia College. She's the director of that. Uh, she's a woman of color. For a few months there, we did not, for the first time in 50 years, did not have a person of color on the school board. Um, how do you think, in terms of board development and growth, and just sort of, Keeping your eyes, uh, it seems like the school board in years past has really got distracted by the minutiae, by things that are really not in their purview, things that are not part of their job. How do you think, in terms of growth and development, your board is doing these days? Um, well, first of all, you know, I, I must say I was
1: very happy to see the number of individuals who who ran for the school board mm-hmm. and who went through the application process. This speaks to the high level of interest in serving on our school board. And, you know, we, we talked about, uh, uh, there was a lot of discussion about, like you said, uh, governance issues. The school board plays a very critical role in governing a school board with its policies, with the budget, and so on. And because of this, the new or renewed emphasis in growth of our scholars, especially among our school board, has allowed us to take on a different approach because our existence, we exist because of our scholars. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we, we, you know, it used to be said, why do you have schools to t- teach the three R's? Well, things have changed a li- uh, somewhat. It's still about teaching those basic functions, but it is critical that the school board, um, allows us to be innovative mm-hmm. to be to to make sure that all, all teachers have the materials and the things they need through providing you know the budget, approving the budget and the finances, and what I see happening now is that with the increased laser focus yeah. on academics and achievement um, with uh, Karen coming on board with her expertise as well, along with the expertise of the six others, I think we'll be perfectly fine. I think that we uh, we will be seeing a continued change in our governance structure towards
0: achievement. Yeah. Well, Dr. Brian Yearwood, we appreciate your time uh, today. Thank you for coming in and, and uh, uh, good luck with a record number of students in CPS and as you sort of navigate uh, uh, the new world of learning and teaching and, and what you're trying to accomplish with our, our, our teachers in the district. Uh, thank you for your time today. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. That's Dr. Brian Yearwood. I'm Fred Perry signing off for this edition of the CEO Roundtable. And we will see you next weekend uh, you've been listening to the CEO roundtable on 939 the eagles this city is my city and I love it, yeah, I love it.